Hey, Zedheads, welcome to our podcast. I'm Mr. Blog. And I'm Grace. And this is The Walking Dead Cast, episode 136. And in this episode, we go under the comic covers of Walking Dead issue 122 and also talk with David Zapanta about his novel, Posthumous. Uh, just a quick note that this will be our last appearance on The Walking Dead cast, but stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear some exciting news about the future for Under the Comic Covers. Yay! Yeah, well, we'll get there. So just really, everybody, <laughs> stick around. We've got some great things to tell you. In the last issue, we left off with Rick and the remaining members of his group leaving war-torn Alexandria for the hilltop. Then around the same time, Negan discovered Eugene's ammunition factory and took Eugene and his workers prisoner in an attempt to get Eugene to start making bullets for the saviors. And issue 122 picks up right after that. Yeah, pretty much exactly from that spot. So yeah. uh, what did you think of the episode? Excuse me, issue. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. It was a transitional issue, more of what I thought we were going to get last time, um, but it also had some nice surprises. It was a good issue and definitely got people talking. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, most certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and kick in our top three. Take it away. Okay, let's do that. My number three is I put the mood and the contrast between the, between the two communities I have to say, my favorite panel in the entire issue is this really small one of Eugene with his, um, and he has this look of hatred and like this fierce determination on his face. Yeah. While he he's he's threatening Dwight, you know here here he is on his knees in front of Dwight and he's threatening Dwight. He's like, "I get free. I'm going to take you out from behind. You'll never see it coming. You <laughs> go out like Abraham did. Only I'm thinking there won't be as many people out there to who give a damn." Yeah, no, that was, I just, that was pretty oh, awesome. I loved it. And then, like, a another panel I really liked was um, the one with Michonne, and she has this tiny smile when Ezekiel was talking to her when he thought she was asleep. And um, I don't know. I'm just constantly impressed with Adlard's ability to show emotion and to set the mood in, in the story. And then, of course, you know, we have the different contrast between um, – the spread that's showing the hilltop at night, you know, looking so peaceful and up against you know, like that two page splash of Negan and all the chained up zombies and, and just the, you know, how it's so, the contrast is just so stark between the two communities. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was fantastic. Absolutely. And your number three. Okay. Uh, my number three, uh, you know, there's going to probably be some overlap on some of these things only because of the fact that, as you said, this was a bit of a, setup episode oh, god again mm -hmm. more of a setup issue um my number three was actually the uh, rick and the blacksmith going over his his potential new hand that he may get <laughs> unfortunately that's also a bit of a you know it makes me worried it's a bit of a harbinger of doom um if rick's making these kind of plans we're all worried about rick's future throughout all-out war and will he die or will he not and i'm afraid Oh no, they've given him something to look forward to. He's dead. Uh, but of course, what will that be? What what might his... Will it be a hook? Will it be a mechanical army of darkness hand? Will it be a golden <laughs> hand on a, a la Jamie Lannister? Oh, whoops. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> chainsaw, well, you know. A so chainsaw. Many, so many We're getting more into... more Back into Evil Dead as well. A chainsaw. <laughs> I don't think it'll be that. But um, um, will it be something like a Merle bayonet? I don't know. Whatever it was, that entire exchange between Rick and the blacksmith. What, Sutton? Was that his name? 
Yeah, Earl Sutton. Earl Sutton, yeah. And, he, you know, the fact that Rick brings him lunch, says, hey, you've been out here all day. It's kind of like, oh, what a what a dude. That's just great. I like <laughs> it. So, uh, and it was one of those smaller moments, again, in, in these episodes that are transitional that I, I do tend to enjoy quite a bit. Yeah. And that, that was actually my number two. And, you know, I called it the, the teaser of Rick's future stump attachment um, <laughs> because I really felt, you know, like you said, I really felt like it was a teaser and something that's not going to ever pan out. I had this feeling that you were just never going to see what they, what Sutton and Rick could have like cooked up, you know, so we shall see. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. It, and it, it does leave you wondering, I mean, is this just another one of, of Kirkman's little games that he likes to play with us where he gets our, our hopes up and then pulls them away right at the last second? Bastard. I know. Because, you know, people love to, uh, you know, speculate and have been speculating since I think Rick lost his hand probably about, you know, an attachment that, you know, what he should have there or whatever. For sure. Yeah. So, okay. So well, on. Okay. My number two, a bit of an overlap with with what was your number three, was uh, that moment between Ezekiel and Michonne. And as you already pointed out, Michonne's sly little smile as she pretends to be asleep and Ezekiel's pouring his heart out as as a, a man in his position is wont to do. His lady love is asleep and that's the easiest time to open up your heart, right? When you, nobody's actually listening or you think nobody's mm-hmm. listening. But it yeah. was... It, it was very beautiful, simple, small little change in the shape of her whole face. It wasn't even just the smile. I kind of looked at that real close and I noticed the, the, the normal, you know, when she's got that angry scowl on her face, her, her brow is, her brow is furrowed. It's kind of, you know, tight up in the, in the center of it. And if you look at the panel at the top of the page and then the panel at the bottom, the scowl is, the tension and the scowls released from her forehead and that slight smile comes up and, and it's a very small, very tender and very human moment that I I've always felt the walking dead has done its best work when it is able to capture those human moments. And, and that was a perfect example of what, in my opinion is, is what makes the walking dead as, as great as it is. I totally agree. All right. Okay. So it's my number one. one. Jesus is human. <laughs> I, you know, I've been saying for a, a while that I wanted to get some backstory on Jesus to make him feel more relatable and more human. And I didn't really get the backstory, but I was happy for this little small reveal into his character. And uh, Jesus isn't like a super ninja robot hottie like I thought he was. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Come on. <laughs> let's, let's be fair. He is still a super ninja. He's he, just not he a robot. He still is. He's just not he, a robot. He's not a robot with no need for human ca- contact after all, you know. And so I just thought the this little peek into Jesus's private life um, was touching and it made him more relatable and interesting, you know, because as much as, you know, I kind of liked Jesus, but I never found him interesting. And so this just adds a little bit of something to him to, to make him relatable. You know what? I, I considered throwing that reveal on my top three as well. It was a great reveal. I mean, I can't say that it wasn't. It was certainly surprising. And it's kind of like, well, what? Okay, fine. Um, and I think because we have so many comments on this in our letters, uh, I, I kind of opted not to bring that up right now. Um, right. But 
It's the elephant in the room, right? It really is. I think that that was of, of everything in the in the issue. This was the one that I think surprised the most people, and it was the one that that was the most surprising. And I did have the pleasure of watching Mrs. Blog as she was reading last night, going over the issue, and I was just kind of staring at her, waiting, and I'm looking down at the page, and I saw her go to that page. <laughs> And then all of a sudden I see her eyebrows start rising about midway through the page. I'm like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> yeah, um, it was so cute. I mean, the way he patted the bed next to him, I like, I liked it. It was, it was that's good. cool. I mean, and there was, you know, again, in the letters, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the, I don't know, controversy about it, which is not the controversy that some people may be thinking that we're referring to. Um, we'll get there. Keep listening folks. So, Okay. My number one for the second week running or second issue running, Eugene, that whole scene. uh, I know you mentioned it in your number three, but that whole scene between him and Dwight and Eugene's just steely resolve that he is going Mm -hmm. to be tough. And the fact that Dwight then says to him, like, you can stop pretending that you're not about ready to piss your pants. And he just says, I'm not pretending Oh, I could just feel that the, 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 the <laughs> anger and the angst in him. And he makes the comment about, you know, I'm still dangerous so long as I have my mouth. It's like, oh, dude, ew, but yeah. Um, oh, oh, I didn't even catch what that meant. <laughs> oh, you didn't even pick up on that. That was like one of the best. catch that. He's oh, basically geez. saying, look, See? dude, I've already crunched down on your <laughs> junk already and I can do it again. Just give me the opportunity. Uh, and in that oh, scene, so I, I, I do want to bring up that a lot of things happen. Of course, Dwight being heard by Carson and then Carson mentioning his brother. And in mm-hmm. the last episode that that we recorded, I was saying, what's up with the people with the name Carson? Why is there Dr. Carson? And then there's Carson. And it didn't even mm-hmm. dawn on me. It didn't even dawn on me that, oh, my God, Negan and these people are like a bunch of PE coaches from high school. They're like, they're like the basketball coaches, right? He's the, he's like a football, a high school football coach who refers to everybody by their last freaking name. And Carson is probably just his last name. So they probably are brothers. Cause Carson mentions wanting to see his brother again. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. I don't think we've ever really had siblings in two separate groups that may be able to come together or one of them's going to die. The other one will cry. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the, the What's going to happen? But uh, I still have to give my number one to Eugene because that steely resolve of him and, and you know, threatening to bite another man's junk is just wow. I, you know, wow. well, I think he deserves that that position. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so second episode running, Eugene gets my number one. Do you have any other notes that you want to bring up about the about this issue? Yeah, there were. I didn't really write down any notes. I felt so much of the stuff was. um you know, in the letter, you know, mentioned in the letters. But do you have any notes? Well, I mean, I, I did enjoy the the exchange behind or between Brianna and Maggie, uh, establishing Maggie's position as leader of the Hilltop. I thought that was mm-hmm. good to get it from the perspective, not just of somebody saying, yeah, I guess I'm the leader or you're the leader, but somebody from that group saying, no, you did this. We are now following you. Just establish it. Make it clear. I like that. Um, yeah. I did like the very sweet moments between Rick and Andrea. The fact that Andrea called him honey, which I thought was really quite sweet. And she didn't wake him up when her shift was over. Yeah, it was all very cute and very, again, very real, very human. <laughs> very feely. Very yeah. feely. And, and of course, that just, God, puts another target right on Rick's 
head in my opinion, but I mean, it could be Andrea. I'm just, I am at the point where I'm beginning to not really even speculate or, or think about any predictions about who's going to die, but I'm having this fear that no, one of the main characters is going, you know, somebody, mm-hmm. somebody has to go and, and it's not just going to be Negan. It's going to be somebody we care about. And for as bold as my predictions about Rick's death have been, and as much as it sounds like I'm like, yeah, Rick's going to die. Woo. I <laughs> I don't want him to die. I really don't. I, the more I've been thinking about it and sitting on it, I'm like, oh, I spent a lot of time with this guy. You know, I, I care about this guy. I don't want him to die. Yeah. That that sucks, man. Maybe I've been too flip about that, you know, but, um, uh, but all that's going to do is if that does happen, it's just, it's going to be a really rough, it'd be a rough, a rough time when that happens. That'll be a little brutal. Um, and I, and I gotta say, I'm kind of impressed that not one of our top three had anything to do with Negan, even though he was there and he was a bit of a badass (laughs) and, it's kind of scary about what's going to happen. Rick can't get all these people out of the way in time before they attack. And they're about ready right. to attack way before they're prepared. So again, again, this and ha- this, yeah, yeah. And, and we only have four issues left. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only four issues yeah. left of all out war. So, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty fast paced from here on out. I think so. I think so. So I'm excited. So when, when issue 123 comes, this is going to be a big deal. Yes, I think so. I'm excited, too. Do you have any um, predictions on what might happen, or do you want to just let that lie right now? I think I'm going to let it lie. I, because, you know, as you're talking about Rick, and, and I've been feeling that he's going to die, I feel like his, the, the more we talk about it and the bigger the target gets, I'm like, well, maybe he's not going to die after all. So I am just like in this little, um, like this little bundle of confusion right now. I don't really have uh, predictions right now. I don't feel as confident. <laughs> yeah well i'm here for you <laughs> we're gonna have to have a support group when when all out war is over i think and uh, i think so yeah so we have a very special little treat now we had the opportunity this last weekend to speak with david se zapanta the author of posthumous a wonderful zombie novel um, we met him at Walker Stalker Con and I purchased his book. I read it on half of it on the plane ride back to California and I really liked his book. So I thought for our first interview, I really wanted to talk with him. And so we did. And I hope you enjoy the interview. Joining us today, we have with us David S.E. Zapanta, the author of Posthumous, the novel, book one of the Kadabra Raza series, as well as the creator of Hairbat, the comic, a self-described depression enthusiast, and uh, my favorite, the Melancholin Greetings, which are some fantastic greeting cards. So welcome to Under the Cover, uh, I always do this, welcome to um, Under the Comic Covers, uh, David. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. First of all, why don't I, let's go ahead and get into how you got started with uh, Hairbat to begin with, and then how Melancholy Greetings happened. There seemed to be a bit of a timeline here with, with one, then the other, and then into the novel. Uh, could you walk us through that process? Yeah, sure. Um, I started Hairbat um, when I was 23. I was, um, I was at Rhode Island School of Design, and 
it actually started as an assignment for a comic book class there. And um, I would say probably out of everyone in the class, my project, which was Hairbat, was probably the, one of the more ambitious ones. And so people kept saying to me, including the, the professor, they kept saying, you know, you should really do this beyond the class. But, oh, you know, cool. but I, was, I was only thinking, you know, 20 pages at a time. And so I thought, could I do this? Is this something that I could, you know, conceivably, you know, do as an ongoing series? And, you know, I, I tried to go the traditional route, send it to publishers. And at the time, no one was interested because I don't think they understood what it was that I was trying to do with it. It was, it was really supposed to be a satire, like a Batman satire. And there were a lot of comics. Okay, cool. Yeah, and there were a lot of comics like that at the time. There was a, really a proliferation of parody comics. And I think that people couldn't see beyond that and, you know, you know, fair enough and everything. So I decided ultimately to publish it myself under Screaming okay. Race. And, and just to, to clarify, you, now you, you wrote it and did all the artwork as well. Yeah, right? I did everything. I wrote it, I, I drew it, and I published it, and I, you know, I handled the distribution. I worked with, you know, everything that you would do with that, any kind of self-promotion. I did tours, you know, I did shows and signings and things like that. And, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty exciting, especially because, you know, like pre-internet days, any kind of success you had, it was hard-won success. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, the funny thing about Hairbat is I feel like there are some similarities to Posthumous in the sense that, you know, it kind of defies, uh, you know, um, it, def it defies, like, the, the genre that it's supposed to be part of. And I think that, sure. it, you know, if you can't pigeonhole something, you can't promote it very easily. And I think with Hairbat, people really didn't know what to make of it because there was such a personal, <laughs> there was such a personal edge to it, you know? And that was one of the funny things about it. As I did Hairbat, I didn't realize <laughs> that I was airing my dirty laundry the way I was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and once I did, I was, I was kind of mortified, actually, to be honest with you. The greeting cards are the same thing, basically. You know, it's just kind of like therapy in an envelope kind of it's it's you know when i first started these greeting cards um well first getting back to hairbat i thought at the time you know hairbat was like this really speaking for myself like this really grand idea like this amazing creative thing that came out of the blue and as a creative person you never really know where your next quote-unquote big idea is going to come from and i felt very fortunate that i had one which was hairbat and, then, and that's you know, more than so many of us ever have sometimes. <laughs> that one, and so that's, that's, a wonderful, that's a wonderful feeling. I think it's a, just a matter of patience, you know, because I think everyone's got that big idea in them. It's just a matter of, you never know what, you might have already had it, you don't know, you know? And it's just a matter of kind of paying attention to those weird little details and thinking, wait a second, and doubling back. Because the greeting cards were like that. I, the way they started was kind of a weird thing because... Um, you know, I'd be sitting in these, you know, I work in a corporate office, that's my day job. And I'd be sitting in meetings, doodling in the margins of spreadsheets, you know, in these two or three hour meetings. And to keep my sanity, I would draw in the, in the, in the margins. But at the end of the meeting, I would just throw everything away. I would throw it in the trash. And this one person in, in a meeting said to me, finally, you know, if you're going to throw that away, can I, can I have it? Can I keep that? And I thought, that, that was surprising to me that there was that she was assigning a value to what I considered doodles. And so, <laughs> and, 
And so I thought, this is kind of interesting. And so I actually started drawing little cap, writing little captions to go with the drawings. And the first one was <laughs> so sad, was he did not marry his true love. And I thought, oh. wow, I know it's heartbreaking. Oh. <laughs> and then, so now, yeah, I'm sorry, just to interject real quick. Now, Grace and I, we, we did meet you in, in at Walker Stalker Con in yes. Atlanta back in November. And Grace, I know you, you, you got some of the melancholy greeting cards, right? I did. And you know what? I cannot give them away because I love them so much. They're so <laughs> adorable and sad. And, um, you know, I, I got three zombie ones. You have things other than zombies, but all three of the ones I got were zombies. And um, just they have these big soulful eyes and, you know, these little sad captions. And um, I, I love them. And I, I really, I can't get them, give them away. I think I might need to frame them. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you very much. I, I I really appreciate you saying that. The funny thing about these cards, even the even the zombie cards, is that I try to be as honest as possible in them. And I and I, from hearing what you were saying, Grace, about about their their eyes, you know, I feel like I I I put a lot of thought into that kind of stuff, you know. And sometimes I'll have a drawing, but no caption for it for like a year or two. And then and finally, when it comes to me, I go, oh, thank God, you know, and and hope for the best. And so to hear you say that is it's it's um it's it means a lot to me. I should have bought more next time. Are you coming uh, to Walker Stalkers again? <laughs> yes, I will be there in Atlanta in October for sure. Hundred percent. Oh, yes. great, awesome. Yes, well, we will be there. Absolutely. So the, the funny thing about the cards, though, I just want to say before I forget because I forget things so quickly. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that you know it was those zombie cards. They, they predate the book. They predate Posthumous. And it, when I saw this kind of weird existential approach to zombies, like, you know, I, in my head I called it dis- Despair of the Dead, I thought, you know, this could be a book. This, this, this kind of weird vibe, the, the idea that the undead could be so, you know, unhappy <laughs> or dissatisfied That's with wonderful. that. Yeah. So, so the, the creation of Posthumous then was very much informed by your previous experience with melancholy greetings and creating those cards. Yes. Wow. That's, that's interesting because I had wondered how you got the idea to have these zombies that are so different than the stereotypical zombies that we know. I mean, you have these zombies that can feel deep emotion and love and are more like their, um, you know, their friends with heartbeats than, than they're different. And so uh, it is very, very interesting to see how this came to be from from the cards that's very that's neat before we kick into to getting too deep into posthumous let's go ahead and give this a bit of an introduction here for for those people who are new to the book okay uh and i and i would very much like to hear i, I remember when i when i did meet you the first night you gave me the, the the basic layout of how you would describe the book to somebody who hasn't read it and go ahead and take it away because i think you say it better than than anybody else could well, you know, it's funny at the Walker Stalker Con, I tried out a few different ways of presenting the book because, you know, I almost didn't do Walker Stalker Con because, you know, people have, and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, but people do have preconceived notions of what zombies should be and rightfully so. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the more contentious issues around, surrounding, uh, you know, zombie lore, if you will, is fast zombies, slow zombies, thinking zombies, unthinking zombies. I mean, People get into genuine arguments over these things, so you, you have to be careful. And and you did decide to throw a a very large and very 
specific monkey wrench into that argument and and i appreciated (laughs) it so much so continue please (laughs) yeah i i felt like at the time it was kind of a a risky approach to the genre you know but um i mean and i'm going to be very honest here about why i started this book you know i started it back in 2009 and you know i was going to the doctor a lot and i was worried about my health my second kid was on the way and you know i just felt like i want to take care of myself and I started, you know, and plus I was hitting, you know, 40 and I was thinking about just mortality in general. And so that was the genesis of the book, that and the idea of, you know, how would a theater full of zombies react to a George Romero movie? Would they see it as farce? Would they see it as, you know, comedy? Would they be offended by it? And I thought that's a really weird idea. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, I I thought about Thriller, you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller video. And I thought, what if those were real zombies in that? You know, what if they were gainfully employed for that particular project? And then, you know, they went on to do other things within the Hollywood studio system. You know, and I thought those two (laughs) ideas together are really weird. And I want to do something with that. That's kind of what informed it. That and the greeting card sensibility. I brought those things together and and blended them. And I got really lucky, I think. (laughs) It is a, a, a very unusual book, and, and as I've told you before, and I did, I did write a review of the book, so if, if anybody's interested in hearing a more detailed review, uh, you can go to mrblog.com, look up Posthumous by David E. S. E. Zapanta. My review is there. Um, and, and what did strike me so much is how you used, how you used zombies and as a fill-in and as an analog for so many different social issues— uh, whether it be unemployment, whether it be immigration, whether it be homophobia, whether it's like you said, it, would a zombie movie be offensive? And I do love how you made what was it? Zombie video games are considered exploitation. Yeah. And yeah. any mm-hmm. zombie movie would be exploitation. And I, and I loved that concept. It was just so, so unusual. So uh, just to try to give the listener an idea of, of what this book is about, it's it's essentially follows three main storylines giving you three different radically different feels. And, and uh, I felt the one storyline, Barnabas Hardy, which was almost the heart for me of the book was more of a, a noir sort of, sort of story. Is that correct? Yes, uh, definitely. Okay. And then we got Damon, who was the actor working in new Hollywood. Um, a little more farce, a little more comedy in there. And then, and the, the third one being George Gleason, a bit of a right wing anti-immigrant, anti-zombie sort of fellow. Right. Um, you you include those arcs in this remarkably well filled out and detailed universe. And and you did a great deal of world building. And I, I would love to hear how how you came about creating that world and, and how you fleshed it out as well as you did. Well that that's a good question because, you know, they say that a writer should know what their characters eat for breakfast, you know, that kind of thing. I, I took that approach to the, to the world of posthumous itself. And I thought, you know, what would the, what would undead products be like? What, you know, what kind of cosmetic products would zombies use, for instance? What, <laughs> what would their magazines be like? What would their reality shows be like? What would their music even be like? You know, that sort of thing. And just take it to its, uh, you know, full conclusion and try to, you know, I believe that, you know, you find verisimilitude in the details like that. And, you know, 
if if I don't believe it, no one else is going to believe it. I think that's part of what made the book so fun is is everything in the world that you you know, like you said, like the the products and and. But see, that's the thing. I wanted to have fun with it, and I wanted the the readers to have fun with it also. I wanted them to think, you know, he really thought this through. There's there's so much here. You know, you don't want to just you know, like think you're like, it's like watching a play, you know, that the reverse of that set is just plywood or something. And I didn't want people to ever feel that way that if you went beyond the edges, there was nothing there. Because to me, there, it goes so far beyond even what's in the book. I've written so much more. I even drew a map for myself for this. <laughs> oh, I think, I, I mean, you would have to, as I was reading it, there were, there were a number of points where I, I started to think, should I be taking notes? There's so <laughs> many characters and there's so many, it, it, and again, it took me a while to even kind of suss out those three individual storylines to understand where, where I was going. It was, it was just so rich. And, and I will also say that this, you did it in a way that didn't rely on exposition. You allowed, um, you allowed the story, allowed this world to unfold almost in a need to know basis sort of a thing. And, and, uh, I'll admit I was a little confused at the beginning as to what is going on here? What is it? this and that but after a while it just began to flesh out and, and feel so much more full and real than if it had just been a turn into a, as an aside and breaking the fourth wall and explaining i hate exposition like that and you at no point did that many times to my frustration but it was <laughs> great uh but in the end it paid out you know i really i really enjoyed the way it laid out well you know the, the funny thing is one of the things that kind of holds this particular world together is the idea of body counting, you know, body counts. And that's, yeah. the, that's what fuels the shaman's magic. It, you know, the more bodies they have, the more powerful their magic is and the better their preservative powers over their undead charges, you know, but that was a foreign concept to me because that was never baked into the original story. And when I, when I thought of it, I went, oh man, that, that makes so much more sense now. It's like the glue that holds the whole world together in a way, you know, and it, I, I guess, we should interject real quick to explain how your zombies operate. That's true. We probably should. Yeah, um, we should probably. Uh, they don't know what you're talking about with the shamans and the the talismans. So go ahead and explain how the zombies in your world work. Yes, that's that. Okay, so basically, in this world, you you choose to come back as a zombie. You you don't even really use the word zombies in this world. It's kind of a four letter word. You're not supposed to do that. You say undead you see re, you say reanimated you even say hmm. living challenged you know but yeah. uh <laughs> so it's still it's like a lifestyle choice you decide okay you have three choices you could you could come back you know uh as as a zombie um and it's seen as the ultimate second chance if you do that's where the name of the series comes from Kadabra raza is basically the ultimate second chance um and then um you could be so that those are resurrectionists or you could be in the tag, the tagline being death is only the beginning, right? Right. Yes. Death is only the beginning. Right. Right. That that's right. You're, you're, you're selling this much better than I am. <laughs> I, I, I liked the book, you know, I really did. <laughs> well, I thought your review of it was really pretty amazing. And you, you know, the fact that you, um, sussed out certain things, you know, gave me hope that I, I did the right thing and that I'm doing the right thing with book two. But um, so resurrectionist, that's one. You could be um, yeah. uh, cremationist, which is exactly what mm -hmm. it sounds like. But the, the difference here being that there's this huge crematorium 
that powers the North powers North America, and it powers it by cremating bodies. So to do that, to to be immolated, as it were, it, it's seen as very patriotic. And so that's George Gleason. He's he's a yeah. patriot, and he fought in the war. You know, and uh, and then so the last one is. I mean, there are other subtleties to all of these these three main ones, but the last one being you could be a burialist, and those are more traditional, practical people. They just want to be six feet under, call it a day. I mean, they do, of course, run the risk of being reanimated against their will. But, uh, you know, that's why cremationists, they, they say, just burn me. I don't want any chance of coming back at all, you know. And, so, and, and you mentioned the the living, or you mentioned North America, but but it should also be noted that this is not the North America or the United States that we recognize today. It is divided between the living states and the havens. So the you havens. have Thank you. you have this huge border wall that that uh, kind of runs down the center of California, or what's now known as New Cali, but um, it's known as Burley Gate, and it's about five hundred miles long, about three hundred feet high. It's made of granite, and it's you know, it and behind that wall, west of the wall, is is the havens, which is you know like an undead territory, and that's kind of to say governed, you know, it's it's governed by a shaman known as Solomon. And he's kind of like the big bad. If you think about Star Wars, he's kind of like the emperor, you know. And in the first book, you, you hear a lot about him, but you never really see him. Although that's different. In book, I'll just say in book two, he's definitely in book two. <laughs> oh, nice little tease. Nice little tease. <laughs> yeah, he's in it. He's this... he, And it's, it's not a wasted throwaway kind of scene with him. It's pretty heavy duty stuff with him, for sure. And Fantastic. he's... I won't say any more about it. <laughs> Great. No, no, no. Don't, don't spoil anything. It's, it's, and this is the thing, even when I was writing my review of this, I was, I was very conscious of not wanting to spoil it. Not because of, not just because I didn't want to spoil something, but because I wanted others to be able to experience reading it the way that I read it, which was again, as I was saying that, that uh, ability to just read and have that discovery open up to you slowly. And as you intended it, um, and it worked very well, and it's that's an, a wonderful thing, and and you did a great job with that. So, and I'm I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so sycophantic here, or or you know, kissing your ass in any way. It's just I enjoyed the book. Simple as that. <laughs> no, I I really appreciate it. You know, I mean, I, I worked on it for four years, and you know, in some ways, you as a writer, you work in a vacuum, and you you honestly don't know if what you're doing makes any sense. You know, and of course, you know, I had beta readers, but you know, but until that point, I really felt. I was going out on a limb because it was so different from what what people's you know preconceived preconceived notions are based on whether it's Walking Dead or like I said Romero films or whatever it is, and you know I I do think that it's still a gamble you know and I I, I feel very lucky and fortunate that that someone like you or Grace read it and appreciated what I was trying to do there you know I think that it is going above and beyond. The zombie genre it, it's really trying to be um it has a bigger message you know not to sound highfalutin about it or anything i just do feel like you know the zombie genre is is the perfect vehicle for allegory you know you, oh, could, yeah. really, you could really it, it does so much heavy lifting if you let it and you and you found i think every allegory there and, <laughs> you know made it believable and it's funny because your zombies are pretty disgusting some of them and, you know, there's some parts where you know, one of the characters gets pretty disgusted by a zombie. And, you know, I feel for him. I, and I'm like, yeah, they're disgusting. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a necrophobe. 
(laughs) which is not, you know, that's not a good thing. And then that world, and I was like, Oh no, you know, I'm a bigot, but, um, you know, so it's fun. Are you working on the second book now? That's also a good question. And I will tell you that I am about 40,000 words into it and put that wonderful. To put that into context, book one was 82,000 words. So I'm roughly around what I would consider halfway. That's not to say I've only written the first 20 chapters. I've written chapters throughout the entire length of the book. I'm just kind of trying to connect the dots now. And and I will say that some minor characters from book one come back, some of them in a much bigger way for book two. And I think that... Wonderful. Yeah, I'm really trying to... But now the problem is that, you know, instead of three main storylines, I have four, maybe five. It's I actually scaled some of it back because it was I felt it was too much and I couldn't expect people to keep track of everything. You know, so you're not going to do the zombie Game of Thrones where there's a thousand different characters and (laughs) 47 different plot lines going. (laughs) It might be that way by by, you know, book three, but I, I doubt it. No. I mean, the thing, too, is that zombies in this book have such similar names. It's the same thing with the Lannisters. They have very similar names. You know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. They do. <laughs> well, I was, I, when, I, when I picked up the book and I was reading it the first time through, I mean, it's, it's a tease when it says book one of the Kadabra Raza series. <laughs> and, and yet nowhere in there did it tell you about, you know, what to expect. And I did have to ask you, like, okay, how many more of these are there going to be? And so go ahead. I mean, is that information that you, you're willing to share? Oh, yeah, sure. More of these? There are going to be three for sure uh, in Go this in particular trilogy, series. So. Yeah, it's a, a classic trilogy, and then there will be... Wonderful. At this point, I'm considering a trilogy, and I can say that it's about George Gleason. And the, I mean, uh, the prequel is about George Gleason, and it would take place during the war. Because, oh. Yeah, yeah. So he was a that POW. To get some of the history of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I've started writing bits of that, too. And the funny thing is, when I was writing book one, I was writing books two and three at the same time because I wanted there to be more of a, a connection. I want to have, you know, Easter eggs in book one for the, the other two books. And so now as I'm even writing book two, I'm still writing book three a little bit. And now I'm starting to take notes for, for the prequel as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, uh, Grace, do you have any other questions you want to ask? No, I, I'm good. This, I thought this was great. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, no. Thank you so much for coming on. It's it's such an honor to have you have you with us for this, our first interview. It's fantastic. Uh, and thank you for being so patient. Uh, just so the listeners know, yesterday we were supposed to interview <laughs> David, and my computer completely crapped out. I had all sorts of technical problems on my end, and David is an absolute gentleman and a scholar for being so patient with us and my horrible unprofessionalism in getting this together. But we got it together. Thank you so much for joining us and chatting <laughs> us about Posthumous. You're very welcome. Where where can people f- find the book? Uh, they can find it in a few places. Um, it's available as an ebook and you know as paperback. Um, as an ebook, you can find it you know on bn.com or Amazon or iTunes, even on Kobo, um, the Kobo Marketplace. Um, and paperback you can get through uh, again bn.com or Amazon or even through my Etsy shop, which is just etsy.com slash melancholy greetings and um the one other website they can check out where all of this stuff is posthumous the book.com i'll make sure we get a link to that when we post the post the podcast that's great thank you and um should we tell them about the contest yes absolutely yeah well david has been kind enough to offer up a signed copy of posthumous 
book one of the Kadabra Raza series as a contest winning. So uh, in this episode, Grace and I are going to eventually get around to figuring out exactly what that contest <laughs> will be. It'll probably have something to do with our Facebook page, which you may or may not know about already. And uh, stay tuned for that. Thank you very much for joining us, David. It was my pleasure. Thank you, David. You're, you're very welcome. you guys enjoyed that uh i we most certainly enjoyed talking with david thank you so much david for for speaking with us that was a lot of fun um, thank you david all right let's move on to listeners moans groans and grunts okay our first letter is from koi Bito. the unbelievably cute jesus scene it was in my opinion the best part in a very content-filled issue good content at that but my question is, did you expect Jesus's very sudden reveal? Did you like how the scene went? And, well, one more, only because his scene stood out to me. Did you like Dwight this issue? I myself loved how calm and collected he started out in his and Eugene's conversation. And man, Adlard's skill at drawing expressions really shines when you see Dwight. And that's a guy with, that only really has half a face to, to emote with. I really, really hope Kirkman does not kill him off, at least not in this arc. He is a great design as well as a genuinely interesting character. Koibito, away! <laughs> Put a little twist on that one for you, Koibito. Well, I have to say, I did not expect the sudden reveal whatsoever. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. <laughs> I didn't think Jesus had a dick, but, you know, that's... um. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> I never questioned that fact. His chest okay, fair enough, the, fair enough, fair big. enough. Nah, oh. you're, I just <laughs> didn't look at him that way. I don't know, for whatever reason. Uh, do I like Dwight this issue? Yeah, very much so. Um, I mentioned the Eugene scene, but I, we didn't really go into Dwight, who... Yeah, I don't know. I still don't know. You know, is he is he double agenting everybody? Is he a triple agent? I mean, is Carson going to rat him? I mean... I don't know. I, I do believe Dwight at this time that he is genuine. I want to. I want to believe. Well, I mean, m you know, my feeling is how could he not want Negan dead? Yeah. After what he's done, after what he's done to him. So, I, you know, I agree. I, I feel he's, I think gen that uh, Dwight is genuine. So, And I like that scene as well. Well, as always, so. thank you for the letter, Koibito. Thank you. Okay, our next letter is from Pickles. I wanted to write about how I felt about the very popular topic this week of Jesus's sexuality. <laughs> a lot of people have been called homophobes when they spoke against it on internet forums, but I don't think that Jesus being a homosexual is the issue with the whole thing. The problem is this reveal is so random that it makes me think that Kirkman just came up with it out of the blue. Jesus has always been the type of guy who was like a Jedi, detached from that sort of thing, giving all that he had to whatever cause he was in. And then he just isn't anymore. It's not like he's coming out of his shell because it seemed like this had been happening for a while. But then again, he said that all he had at the hilltop was books. 
This further reinforces that I don't think Kirkman had been planning it. This makes me feel like his whole character continuity is wrong. The twist just felt cheap. The whole revealing gay characters casually was great with Aaron and Eric, but it felt unplanned and stupid this time around. Like I said, I can't even imagine him being with a girl because of that Jedi aura around him. But you can't reveal something that was apparently already happening at the hilltop, him and Alex, as character development. It left me cheated and confused. I don't care that he's gay, but this was cheap. I've used that word a lot in this, haven't I? What do you think about the whole thing? Did you like it? Did you like how it was introduced? Thanks for reading. Pickles 312. Okay, thank you, Pickles. Yeah, thanks, Pickles. Um, you know, I, I, I've i been reading that the, the last couple of days as well. I know that that is, you know, I can see where you're coming from with it, quite honestly, that Kirkman seemed to maybe feel like there needed to be a quota filled or because Aaron and Eric made the comment that they were, or excuse me, that Aaron made the comment that they were the last two gay couples alive, that he had to feel like, no, 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 there's somebody else here. Uh, I can see that. And, um, the the point about Jesus specifically saying that all he had back at the hilltop were a bunch of books. Yeah, that's, the, that's kind of the, like, if he was going to be in a relationship he seems like a really decent enough guy that he would actually put a little more stock in a relationship than just saying, eh, I got nothing. Um, unless he's just, but really, you know, was it the right time to go into all that either? I don't know. I mean, when I first, when I first thought about it, I was like, ouch, you know, poor Alex. That was, that's pretty rough. When I thought back to that comment that he made. Yeah. And it, it does. Really, it, is again, that the time you get into it? I don't know talking about projections and, and setting us up for believing, you know, a, a misdirection and that kind of thing. At this point, it becomes like, Oh, is Alex going to be zombie fodder or, or Negan fodder to die? And then for a future setup between him and Aaron. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I, it's, it was it there just for shock value. Was it there? I mean, I don't know. I like it personally. I think good. Um, as we talked about before, Jesus is humanized in a certain way. And maybe this is just the beginning of, Jesus becoming a more fully realized character beyond just his super mad, awesome ninja skills. Um, so I don't know, you know, it's, it's, well, let's, let's wait it out. See how it goes. Right. Maybe, maybe Rick will have a change of heart and ditch Andrea and go for <laughs> Jesus, you know, who knows? Um, uh, and, and okay. I, I'm, I gotta say this. I do wonder too, whether or not Kirkman just got a kick out of the fact that now people are going to be running around saying Jesus is gay uh, is Probably. he is he just trolling everybody just to get us like you know just to piss off a certain uh, segment of society? I don't know, maybe because <laughs> it's it's a it it feels kind of wrong saying that statement. You know, like oh my god, somebody's gonna get really mad if I say Jesus is gay, but that's not who I mean. Uh, <laughs> the other Jesus, Paul Monroe, and actually he called him Paul, didn't he? Uh, Alex, Alex called him Paul, which was, was kind yeah. of sweet and a nice reminder that, you know, look, he has a name. He's not Jesus. Okay, next letter from Kirk. Overall, a solid issue. A short calm to develop some characters and set up the next big confrontation. Bio-zombified weapons? Ha! Nice twist. A little dangerous because of the increased chance of it backfiring and infecting the user, but still a neat idea and one that is outside of the box. I like that. The opening scene with Eugene and Dwight was tight. Eugene is becoming a pretty solid badass, which is a little hard to believe, but still fun to read. 
I particularly like that as Negan is closing in on a win of this war, he is unknowingly fracturing from the inside. The big question is, who will be the one to punch Negan's ticket at the end of this story? Rick? Ezekiel? Dwight? My hope is that it's Maggie. I would like to see her get to have a little justice for what Negan did to Glenn. I like that Maggie is becoming the leader of Hilltop. I don't care for the Brianna character. It seems like she's always judging Maggie and giving her a hard time. What's up with Olivia getting all inappropriate and insensitive with Rosita? That lady creeps me out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I like that. And Jesus is gay? Didn't see that coming. Glad, though, that Kirkman goes to great lengths to constantly diversify the cast of this book. I think that's very true to real life and adds to the book's authenticity. Cannot wait to see the metal smith dude, uh, what the metal smith dude creates for Rick Stubb. Could be very cool. Maybe have some interchangeable parts with tools and weapons. That would rock. Okay, suddenly I got an image of like Rick with a Dremel on the end of his stump. You know, <laughs> like this is the grinder. This is the router. This is the saw. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> back to the letter. Not sure I agree that consolidating all the communities is the best idea. Love the art of the big double page spread with all the hilltop people streaming in through the gates. I'm glad, though, to see Rick come up with a backup plan. That was something they were severely lacking at the prison. Nice to see that the character learned his lesson. Good cliffhanger at the end, although it wasn't that big of a surprise after Rick's speech the page before. You kind of knew that Negan was attacking earlier that was going to happen. Best, Kirk. Woo. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks, Kirk. <laughs> um, man, that's a lot of stuff to take in. I mean, we, we probably could have stopped it in midway through, but then it would have taken us about 30 minutes to get through this one. Uh, let's go ahead and just real quickly hit some of these points. Bio-zombified weapons. We haven't touched on that at all yet. What do you think about that plan, Grace? I I don't think... It, it was interesting to read about, but I don't think it's going to work. And I think if it does work, Kirkman's going to have a really pissed-off community here because... If it works, why hasn't there been more and, you know, more people turning with, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought about that, too, in the fact that, like, okay, Michonne, she's run around and then she'll chop off a zombie head and this and that. So she's got that gunk all over her sword before. But I guess then she doesn't, if she uses it on somebody else, it's pretty much always been fatal. So we don't know the outcome of that. Same thing with Lucille. Lucille's got a bunch of zombie gunk on it all, all constantly, I'd imagine. Uh, and the only time we've actually really seen it on, on use has been on Glenn. So we didn't have the chance to see whether or not that would work on him either. Um, bioweapons. This is the first time we've seen biological war warfare in The Walking Dead. So uh, mm -hmm. that is interesting. Uh, Eugene and uh, Dwight was t tight. I agree. Um, Negan closing Brianna? in on a win. I Brianna, yeah. Oh, yes. Sorry. Uh, no, no, I was going to say, I like Brianna. I think she just tells it like it is. I kind of like to Brianna Maggie. too. I, I honestly do. I think yeah, I think she's Maggie supportive in a in her own way. Yeah, Maggie needs a friend. You know, give give mm -hmm. Maggie a friend. That's there's nothing wrong with that, and she is supportive in her own way. I mean, she's basically saying like, "No, shut up, Maggie. Stop your self doubt. You're the leader." Wow. I liked it. Uh, Olivia getting all inappropriate and insensitive with Rosita. Um, I don't know. Was she that inappropriate? I mean, she's just. Yeah, maybe. I think she was just trying to trying to make her laugh, but Rosita wasn't having any of it. Yeah, uh, and then when it, it was kind of funny, I misread. Uh, I think I put a comma where a comma didn't actually exist. That when Olivia makes the comment of, of like, you know, 
uh, that she's... God, what's the exact sentence? I, I need to look this up here. It's right here. Hell, I do all right. When I read that, it says, This in high school, you're not less cool for liking the fat guy. Hell, I do all right. I honestly read that as hell. I do all right. I read it as like she was saying, no, she likes the fat guy. She liked Eugene. Uh, I threw a comment in there. And, and oh, okay. you know, as somebody who does do some writing, I got to say, the importance of where a comma is really makes a difference. Because <laughs> I went it back does. and I reread it. I'm like, she does all right. Well, who is she banging? Now that's what I want to yeah. know. Who is she banging, man? Um, no, but it's kind of nice to know that Olivia gets laid. I like it. <laughs> absolutely, man. She's kind of got the the skirt thing going. I don't know. I don't know. She creeps you well, out. And of I course, like she's it. the one with the food, so maybe. <laughs> oh, that's true. Oh my god. <laughs> Favors for Sorry, food. Favors for kind. food. Okay, then I do. Okay, this is God. This is going to sound terrible. Uh, but I was thinking about this the other day and specifically about the TV show. I was like looking at when now that Abraham and Eugene have been introduced to the TV show. I think they're they're maybe two of the first somewhat heavier set people we've seen on the show. And now I'm thinking about Olivia and I'm thinking about Eugene in the in the comic. And of course, Eugene has mentioned that he's been losing weight. And all I keep thinking is everybody's starving. How are you guys still heavy? <laughs> How is that happening? Um, well, yeah, they brought it up in the comic too before, I guess. Yeah, they have with Eugene. So even when, I don't know, sorry. So you know I still think Eugene's trimming down a bit. He is trimming down and they've, they've made, mm -hmm. they've made mention of that, but they've made mention of it in, in terms of now that he's been trying to kind of, uh, do something more with himself. He's taking better care of himself. And what I'm saying is it doesn't matter at this point, whether you're taking better care of yourself or not, there's a baseline minimum food. All these people are eating. Um, ah, I'm sorry. We're, we're way off on a tangent on this. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> here. <I don't> okay. <laughs> uh, Jesus being gay. We've already covered that. Um, Rick Stubb. I think we covered that as well. Uh, as far as consolidating the communities, you're right. It probably is not a, the best idea. And I think that's why Rick wants to try to split the group up. Uh, unfortunately, they may not have a chance. So, yeah. And he had that backup plan, which is all well and good, but he didn't have the time to get anybody there. So yeah. To the... Yeah. So um, let's move on. Thank you very much, Kirk. Okay. Great letter. Thank you, Kirk. The next one is from Jack McCary. What's up, guys? Just two quick questions. What do you guys think of a possible Aaron-Jesus relationship? The way I see it, they both make, if they both make it out of all-out war, they get to know each other pretty well on the road. And with a assumedly smaller cast, oh, who knows? Okay. And <laughs> also, I'm guessing you're going to get this a number of times, but do you think Negan's zombie goo weapons are going to work personally if this works i think it's going to be the worst sequence of events in the book's history it's completely ridiculous to think that this goo wouldn't have killed someone already jack well i guess we but we touched on both of those things but um well i agree about the goo yeah i mean i don't think it's going to be the worst thing in the in the book's history um i guess this is a slight prediction but i have a bad feeling that it will work and it's going to probably work on one of our main characters dying. Um, I just, I don't know. I, the fact that he's introduced it, something about this idea makes me kind of icky in the belly that I'm like, oh, it's going to work on the one person we care about. 
Um, I just don't know which one person that's going to be. <laughs> okay, okay, let's move on. Uh, thank you, Jack. That was great. Thank you. Uh, next letter is off Twitter. as uh, from at Nerdro. I thought it was great. Dwight looks fantastic, and I'm really looking forward to see what happens next with him. My problem is this. Are we to believe that the saviors had till now been disinfecting their weapons? I mean, wouldn't their weapons already be contaminated by all the zombies they'd brained in the past? Maybe fresh is best? I don't think his plan is going to work. It's a good idea, but he's a psychopath. I think you need direct transmission. Otherwise, just getting splattered in the face with Zigor would mean infection, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And another thing, I mean, are they planning to do a lot of hand-to-hand combat? I mean, what happened to all their... Do they use up all their grenades and... I think they're talking about arrows and bullets and knives. I mean, I think they are planning a bunch of uh, hand-to-hand... I don't know. Maybe. It's... (laughs) It is interesting. All right. Okay. Well, let's move on to our last email. Um, This is from Mark Spiak. I love what Mr. B said last week about how we love our monsters and even make a hero out of our monsters. After hearing Carson talk to Dwight about him being with him and thinking others would be too, it really got me thinking about Negan and the governor and the differences between these two monsters. The governor was more of a monster behind the scenes than in your face the way Negan is. The governor wanted to be liked by all and was able to manipulate the Woodbury residents into believing Rick and his group were that Rick and his group were the monsters. Negan is 100% in your face dictator. If he wants your wife, he has her. And if you have a problem with that, then you get the hot iron. This whole time, I thought the same thing Eugene did about Dwight. If he's against Negan, then why doesn't he do something about it and end it? I thought he was just playing both sides of the fence. But this issue, I saw the conviction in Dwight's eyes. I did have to suspend my disbelief a little with this issue. Why were all of those people from the kingdom not fighting this whole time? Also, why didn't Negan ever attack the kingdom? Maybe I just missed something along the way or in my first read-through of the comic. Yes, what? Jesus is gay? Am I the only one that wants him to, wants to see him with Aaron? Don't get bit, Mark. No, you are not the only one who wants to see him with Aaron. I think a lot of people do. Um... You know, I, I gotta say, I really like what you had to say about and about the way you analyze the differences between Negan's Negan's dictatorial style versus the governor's more secretive uh, public persona versus the real persona. It, it's that's a very astute observation. And, and I like it because you're right. These are two very different styles of leadership. And, and I'm making air quotes when I'm saying leadership. Um that have their pluses and minuses, you know, and there is a certain benefit. I think one can say of being an outright dictator versus the more secretive subversive form that the, that the governor was taking. Um, but then again, you get internal plots that want to kill you when you are an outright dictator. So I, I don't know, I, but mm-hmm. I like the way you were looking at that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Very neat comparison. Yeah, that was good. And, and as far as Eugene and Dwight, yeah, and I don't know where Dwight's loyalty stands. I mean, I'm 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 at the point where I'm taking him at his word that what he's saying is genuine, that that he really is against Negan and and with Rick, but time will tell. Yeah, and I think um Dwight's comment, I think that was kind of Kirkman answering 
some of the readers um, thoughts, you know, about, you know, and he was giving an ex exclamation explanation. <laughs> I can't talk explanation about why um, he hadn't just taken Negan out before. So that was, that was pretty interesting. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, and it makes, you know, it makes sense. He's right. I mean, if, if he believes that other people are so behind Negan, that they'll just take him out. As, if, I mean, you're talking about assassinating your leader. That's not to be mm -hmm. taken lightly, you know, and I, and I can understand Dwight's fear. I mean, he had, he had his face ironed. Have you had your face ironed? I haven't. Negan is a scary guy. He is a scary guy. And I'm, I'm beginning to believe more and more that he was just a football coach in high school or a high school football coach is what I mean. I, I or basketball. I had bad experiences with my basketball coach. He never ironed my face, but I didn't like that guy. <laughs> as far as the kingdom people, I was actually quite surprised that there were like, what, at least three busloads of people coming off there. I know. I thought there um, were five people. I thought there were five people left in the kingdom. Suddenly there's a, it's well, a field trip showing up at, at, at the hilltop. I, I mean, I guess I knew it was large, but I, I think I just had forgotten about it. Um, you know, I don't think it was unusual that uh, Negan didn't attack there because I don't think in the beginning that he had any reason to believe that uh, Ezekiel and the kingdom were in on Rick's little plan. So that didn't surprise me, but I guess I just had forgotten about their numbers. Uh, Before we move on, I need to I need to just mention one thing. I'm I'm noticing as I have that page still open with Olivia and, and the Rosita page, it displayed open on my desk right there. And I'm looking at the Jesus page with the big reveal. And I realized Jesus was reading Gulliver's travels. Mm -hmm. Is there any significance to that? I don't know. There might be, it's you know, is, is Negan Gulliver and the rest of them are the Lilliputians. And are they going to try to capture Gulliver and that kind of thing? I mean, um, I mean, literally, this just I just noticed this. It's popping into my head. There there must be some sort of significance to why they put Gulliver's Travels in there. Uh, anybody, any of our yeah, listeners? Maybe it is the numbers, the numbers that they have. Maybe. So so uh, if any of the listeners have any insight into why was Gulliver's Travels very specifically pointed out here, I want to know it. I want to hear some theories. Come on, give it to me, people. Let me hear it. <laughs> <laughs> So are we, are we done with the letters? We are. All right. Well, uh, this is bringing us very close to the end of the show. Uh, however, we do have the announcement to make. Uh, we mentioned that this is going to be our final episode as uh, under the Walking Dead cast. Um, what, however, that is not the final episode of Under the Comic Covers. In fact, we haven't yet started Under the Comic Covers because our first episode as our own entity will be next week. <laughs> Grace and I have been holding on to this information for a while. I've been teasing it on Facebook. We've been teasing it on Twitter. Uh, but we are now going to be a full-fledged podcast, not just dedicated to The Walking Dead, but dedicated to covering independent comics as the ones that we are reading, the ones that we care about. Uh, she and I, Grace and I, we, we spend far too much time in our actual personal lives talking about these comics. We figured, you know what, we want to do this as the podcast as well. And thanks to a uh, great thanks to Jason and Karen for allowing us to uh, get our feet wet in terms of setting this up and beginning as a small 15 minute segment, then getting 
so many emails that we really wanted to start responding to the emails. So we wanted to have our individual episodes that we've been doing. And it's been such a great experience. We've been loving it so much. But we want to talk about some other titles. The Walking Dead is awesome. We do. But we have some other ones that we have a lot to talk about. We do. We do. We have a lot of other things to talk about. So So this will be fun. I am so excited. Yeah. So uh, next week we will be recording March 6th, our first episode as under the comic covers. We have some extra special little things to tell you about. But first, I want to go over the titles that we will be covering. So and. By no coincidence, maybe most of these, actually all of them, I think at this point, are image comics. Um, so why don't you go ahead and spill the beans on which comics we will be covering? Okay, well, the first one we'll be, rec- we'll be covering is Revival. Um, that's, one of the one, that's one of the ones that we've mentioned in one of the, pod, the past podcasts, um, one of our recommendations. So that will be our first one next week. And we'll also be covering um, Chew, Sex Criminals. What else am I missing? Saga, of course. One Saga. Saga. Now, with Saga, uh, for those of you who've been following Saga, you may know that right now they're on a three-month hiatus. They do take they they do their six-issue arcs, and then they take three months to get everything together, and then they do another six issues. What we are going to do up until until that time, the three months is over. We're going to cover each volume the previous three volumes until we get to the live issues as they're released. So there's that coming up. We will, there will be some weeks where we are not talk. We don't have anything on our poll lists that we're necessarily going to be talking about on the show. So we may go over some titles that have just been completed, maybe a series such as Trillium. Once that's over, we may go over that and that being a vertigo title. So we're not going to limit ourselves to just image comics. If something comes up that piques our interest, look, we're going to talk about it. And if any of you listeners want want us to maybe start reading something and covering it, hey, look, we're open to suggestions. We love going over some some new titles. I do want to squeeze in Manifest Destiny because I'm loving Manifest Destiny. Um, Mm -hmm. And Sex Criminals, like you already mentioned it, but oh, I can't wait to talk about that. If you thought menstrual cups were fun, wait till we get into (laughs) Sex Criminals. That's all I'm saying about that. It is a um, fun read. It is a fun read. Uh, so, so this is very exciting for us. We're really looking forward to bringing you some some completely new content. Um, again, this will be a separate entity from the Walking Dead cast. So, as of next week, I'm gonna I'm, I'm asking you, the listeners, if you if you want to keep hearing under the comic covers, you're gonna have to go to iTunes. You're gonna have to follow us on Facebook. You're gonna have to follow us on Twitter. You're gonna have to find out where we are and please find us out there. Uh, we're we're going to make this bigger we're going to make this better and as a promise that this is going to be bigger and better our first episode which will drop hopefully march 7th or 8th go ahead you spill the beans do it <laughs> well our first interview is with charlie adlard who is of course the artist and illustrator um and co-owner of um the walking dead i've got and... i've got such a shit-eating grin right now really it was we, we, we've already spoken with him. It was a fantastic interview. I cannot wait to share it with you guys. It, it was so much fun. He was a fun, easy guy to talk to, and I think it went really well, and I think you guys will enjoy it. Yeah, so that's going to be our so first that'll episode. that'll be next week. So we're going to be covering mm-hmm. Revival, uh, issue 19, correct? 18, I believe. 18, okay. 
uh, Revival 18 or 19, and an interview with Charlie Adlard. And it's going to be a whole new experience. We're going to have some fantastic artwork that has been done for us by Kirk Manley. Um, thank you very much, yeah, you Kirk. Can check that out on our, our Facebook and our... Um... Our new website, and we'll give you all that information in a little bit. Absolutely. And uh, you're going to hear some music. We'll go ahead and promote the music when we get there. Um, but uh, we're, we are so excited about this. We've been teasing this a little bit for those people who follow either one of us on, on Facebook or Twitter. And it, it's I, I'm very excited. And I really want to take this moment to give a huge thanks to Jason for allowing us to occupy a small real estate corner of, of the walking dead cast and to grow and to do something more with what has been a phenomenal experience for both grace and I, we've been loving doing this and we want to just, we want to make it bigger. We want to make it better. We do. Thank you, Jason. And, and thank you guys for listening and for sending in all these emails. I mean, that's really what's made all this possible and, and made it able for us to go, look, this might work, man. I think people really care about this and there are other titles. You know, we're, we're talking ultimately about a TV show based on a comic. And, and it's those comics that, that, you know, for those who are the comic readers of the show who are listening to under the comic covers, I, I really want, I want you to come with us. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun and there's, there's a lot of neat things that are going to happen. So there's that. Okay. There is. Should we tell them about our um, contest? Oh, my goodness. That's right. So as we mentioned in the, in the interview with David Zapanta, you have the opportunity to win a copy of David Zapanta's novel uh, Posthumous, which, again, I got to say, I really like this book. And on top of that, it's a signed copy. He will send it to you. But the rules are as follows. Grace, <laughs> fill us in on okay. that one. You know what this better. What you need to do is go to our new Facebook page under the comic covers and like it. And then um, like the post that we put up there about David and the contest. And you will be entered and we will draw the winner on our first episode next week. All right. So I think that about does it for the show. Uh, you can write to Under the Comic Covers using our brand new email address, which is feedback at utccovers.com or reach Jason and Karen at brains at walkingdeadcast.com. You can check out our new website and awesome podcast art by Kirk Manley at underthecomiccovers.com or Jason and Karen at walkingdeadcast.com. And don't forget to click through their Amazon link or just go to walkingdeadcast.com slash Amazon whenever you shop at amazon.com. You can find The Walking Deadcast on Twitter at Jason and Karen or on Tumblr at walkingdeadcast.tumblr.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash deadcast. Under the Comic Covers also has its own Twitter account at UTC Covers. That's at U-T-C-C-O-V-E-R-S. And we can now be found on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Under the Comic Covers. Yeah. All right. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Don't, Don't get, get bit, Amanda, Amanda Harvey. Harvey.